This is WMPG 90.9 Southern Maine Community Radio from USM. In the Pocket, a show where BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, creatives, artists, and culturists come together and talk about their inspirations, share their narrative, and explore culture. You are listening to In the Pocket with your host, Flo Edwards, and our guest today is Abdul Ali. He is a youth activist and works with the Maine Youth Justice Organization and many other organizations, as you'll hear more about. Please introduce yourself. Uh, My name is Abdul Ali. Um, I am 24 years old, and I am uh, originally from Ethiopia, but I live here in Portland, Maine. Great. How long have you been in the States? Because you don't have an accent to me. No. Um, I, I, I came here when I was three, back in 99. Um, and uh, I lived in Ohio for a little while. And then after mom and dad divorced, uh, dad came up here. And then, and uh, I, I grew up here. I, I went through uh, Reiki Middle and High School. Right on. And Portland High School, yeah. Yeah. Got your PhD, Portland High School <laughs> Diploma. <laughs> I actually didn't graduate from Portland High. Oh really? Yeah, okay. I didn't. I, didn't. Um, I I was kind of uh, I was not a troublesome ch- child. I was like kind of lost in, in in Maine. I guess I mean obviously being black, you you, you get lost pretty uh, quickly back, especially back then. Um, yeah, I went to a juvenile facility. I got my GED, and then I went to college at the age of seventeen. So um, while I was in there. Yeah, well, it actually, sounds like that put you on the right path. Oddly enough, but. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was just, it was, it gave me more opportunity. Like, uh, you know, I think that, like, the, the traditional way of schooling was just, like, very difficult for me. So, um, when I had the option to just, like, bang out, like, all the, all the schoolwork in, like, two weeks and to go straight to college and try to, um, find a career, it was just, it was real convenient for that. Great. Yeah, I feel like the public school system was really just developed to keep, people like young people from being hoodlums and help them understand authority and obey authority versus to really educate them personally yeah i mean it's it's a sense of institutionalization because it's like seven or eight a.m they wake up and uh not they wake up they start classes and they end at four or five and that's how work goes it is five days a week monday through friday so it's it's a sense of like teaching you that that's um your structured time that you're supposed to be working in the industry um, for the fuel of America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So tell me, uh, you said you have a career. Tell me about your career. What are you into? I am an, um, I'm an activist. Um, I, I do many different things. Um, I'm an organizer with Maine Youth Justice. We are a campaign to close down the juvenile facility here in South Portland, Maine, and reinvest the money back into the communities that need it most. Uh, $18.2 million that are going through there um, every year. So and, much uh, money. <laughs> yeah, and about $300,000 a year per kid. So the same juvenile facility that I was in. Um, and I noticed like a lot of the kids that had like a lot of mental health issues and drug and alcohol or family issues. So it wasn't nothing that, um, you know, it wasn't that the kids were bad. It was just they were just responding to whatever they were fed, they were um, served in life. So, um, yeah, so my career is, 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 is with the campaign. I also work at the University of Southern Maine at the, um, at the public policy as a policy assistant. I'm a full-time student there too. Uh, I'm a father. Um, I work with the Young People Caucus with uh, uh, Representative Victoria Morales 
and I have a, um, a side gig what is called uh, Reversing Structural Racism in Maine. It's like a week-long panel that I that I uh, set off every once in a while. So much stuff, man! I feel yeah. super lazy, <laughs> like listening. Like I'm very impressed. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I feel that I should apologize for saying that the the Long Creek helped helped you get on your path. But how did you find yourself in all that? I mean, I don't think you even need to apologize. I think that it's it's good to ask that question because a lot of people are, are are wanting to ask that question, right? And um, it's. Uh, it's just to break that that immediate stigma that you know um, incarceration is because you're a bad person or is it because you're reacting to a situation? You know, um, I think, and also like for me, it was like a sense of belonging wasn't I mean wasn't prevalent. I'm Ethiopian and am I black? Well, am I white in this in white state? What what am I? Am I Muslim? Um, and the difficulty in that, you know, um, in finding a sense of belonging had made me you know uh test test different groups out and when, when once i did that um and and like everybody had a structure to go home to right i didn't have that so i had a, le- a little bit more freedom um but that that freedom I, when you're really really young you toughen up but it's pretty dangerous like mentally it doesn't it does it does something to you psychologically um and uh yeah, so like for me specifically to get in to go into the juvenile facility, I was happy the first or second day. I was like, oh shoot, I can sleep. Like I'm tired, you know. Um, but after the third day, I was like, oh snap, it's gonna be for a long time. You know, cement walls and um, you know, it's, it's like a real tight, confined space, and it can really mess you up if you if you really don't have if you don't have a strong mindset or a plan or a goal. And I was in there for the whole 18 months, so yeah, it was not. It was not pretty, and it was it's it's pretty cruel to, to even have um, confined spaces for you, for kids at all, and uh, yeah, so that's why I do my work. Great, I um, spoke with Joseph Jackson, or I think he goes by Joe Jackson, and or maybe he goes by Joseph. And Joseph Jackson, yeah, yeah. right, he's amazing, um, and he was just telling me how he mentioned that money that goes in there, but he also said that. In Maine, if you are in that system, they can hold you until you're up to 21. Mm-hmm. So you were very fortunate to 18 months. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I got out. I got out at the age of 19. Um, my sentence was only for 18 months. I mean, I, I was supposed to be getting out anywhere from nine to 12 months, but um, you know, it was it was just weird because like there's like levels, there's programs in there, and I I, I, I succeeded in all of them, but they still had held me in. So they do have a full control of your your life, your existence, right? And um, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, not only not scary, scary itself, I think it's pretty like dangerous for, for someone to just, or for a whole system to have you like that because they don't know what you're thinking in your mind. They don't know how far you'll get in life, right? Mm-hmm. So it can actually damage the child or the youth, whatever, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, so with your main organization that you're a part of, um, what are some of the recent projects you've been doing during COVID and you'd like people to know about? Um, well, COVID hit. Uh, we have a youth steering committee where we work with like um, a bunch of different youth that are 
some of them are previously incarcerated, some of them are not, and we just get um, a bunch of them mixed in and uh, to talk about youth justice and talk about issues in the communities and whatnot. Um, we went to the state house and we 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 brought in we brought in the youth into the state house and we delivered um, uh, uh, we delivered postcards to the governor saying close it down. I think it was like 500 postcards that people signed that we've been collecting, and it was the most. It was like the biggest. Uh, the biggest uh, amount of people, the most amount of people there at one time on a strike, and it was because of the, um, it was because of um, uh, closing down the juvenile facility. Then after um, COVID hit down, Black Lives Matter blew up. We we connected with another individual named Hamdia, and um, and a lot of the legislators that we and we met up with the chief of police. Um, and uh, and the city manager and whatnot, and they were just trying to explain like you know the protest and whatnot. And I'm like, you can't explain a protest of a few thousand people. Like this is a response to harm. There's no way of watering this down. This is a response to oppression. You know what I mean? Um, like this is big, and you guys haven't seen it yet, but it will be big. And that's and this is when it, it wasn't even that big yet. You know? Um, and uh, I I. Um, what this happened like, was... Was that like in April or March? That was in June. June, okay. That was in June. And there was like 2,000, 3,000 people there. Um, and I led that that, that uh, protest the next day and um, with Main Youth Justice. And that kind of really put Main Youth Justice like, oh my God, there's an organization actually working on like uh, oppression. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's really kind of what made us highlight it. Do you have anything lined up with Maine Youth Justice this fall? Well, Maine Youth Justice itself is the campaign. Um, we're just in the process of growing right now. Um, at the time, I was only I was one of the only. Uh, we had multiple organizers, but we, we just didn't have enough funding to uh, uh, have people on full time. But now we're we're just we're just slowly increasing now. Um, but there are so now the juvenile facility don't have, only has I believe thirty eight individuals left in there. Um, in the whole state, yeah, like wow. 38 inside of Long Creek. Uh, but to close down a juvenile facility, you have to create the programs out here, right? Everything you're re- you're receiving in there, like food and uh, transport. If you need a transportation, if you need a school, if you need, you have to have these type of programs out here because it's difficult for individuals that are traumatized when they're younger to have the regular. The regular, you know, what I mean, school, the schooling, and the regular filling out an application and whatnot. They're, they're, they need assistance in that because you know they weren't given the ropes, right? So, right now with with the university, what we're doing is like there's opportunity scholars. It's it's a um, it's a group and that that uh, that will take in youth from incarceration, and we're working with the DOC. Um, and after they get out, they have a chance to get higher education, right? And uh, they also get paid to get a universal basic income and whatnot, and it really gives them a pathway. And, and, and it's like a strategy to see if this uh, gives them a better incentive in, in their future rather than that. So it's just like really trying to change the whole dy- that dynamic of the state. Um, and if we do close down Long Creek, we will be the first state in the country that, that we, we, um, we don't lock up kids. That'd be great. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about that um, universal income program that you're starting up. It hasn't started yet, correct? It's, it's started. Opportunity oh. Scholars is small right now. Um, okay. We're still working to, to, to help it grow. Opportunity Scholars um, uh, lives inside of Muskie, uh, the Muskie School. 
um, and uh, it's connected to Young People Young People Caucus, which is um, an organization, not, not a full organization, but like a group that um, Representative Victoria Morales uh, had created. And youth would go all the way up to the state house, but right now, I mean, they got to do it over Zoom, but and talk to decision makers and legislators about what's going on on the ground and youth from the age of like 14, 15, all the way up to like 25. And um, this, and they get stipend for it and they get paid for it and whatnot. It gives, it builds bridges. So it's all about bridge building and, and removing the sense of systems have to be intact. I think these systems are intact because we're so used to having systems intact and not really seeing the humanity and understanding that you know bridges can be built and, and, and higher success can be reached um, by giving different opportunities right everything is learned behavior scientifically so if, if we consistently uh, punish people then they're only gonna react in, in, in a negative manner but if we give them um, positive um, resources and positive uh, 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 treatment then that's they're gonna react in the same I love that it's breaking down draconian philosophy. Mm-hmm. Punishment is not gonna actually improve. Mm-hmm. It's just gonna keep you down. So, um, you were on a podcast recently for Black Owned Maine. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm, I'm still. Yeah, it's, it still hasn't released yet. Um, it'll release on the ninth, I believe. Don't. Ninth, the week of the ninth, oh. any any time that week. Um, I was on a podcast there, um, and uh, yeah, it was really it was great. Um, they're like a new organization in a way, and I was like I was really pleased to, to even be on there. And I think the conversation was amazing. And by the way, if you're listening right now, please listen to the uh, the podcast for Black Owned Me. It's it's really it's it's striking. So, did you play any music as well, or did you just have conversation? Um, I don't. I don't do music. I, I do poetry. Um, I do poetry in a form of theater and art. Yeah. I did art uh, theater for seven years after I got out of the juvenile facility, and I did it in a world, in a way of activism to tell stories. Um, and yeah, I, I shared one poem because we were we were talking about systemic racism, and the poem that I that I shared was exactly on um, on the conversation that we had. So it was like a whole wrap up of the conversation that we had it was um, it was pretty cool yeah awesome great yeah i saw an advertisement so i thought it had already been released um but that's a sneak peek that's great and so with going through covid and a lot of the organizations you're a part of mm-hmm. it seems like they have gotten used to zoom and doing things online was that an easy transition? That was um, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> Honesty. I think, yeah, I think that really keeping people, youth engaged specifically, like youth engaged, is a very difficult task, but at the same time, you have to bring the excitement, make some jokes, you know what I mean? You can't be consistently serious all the time. And just having them there is enough. Yeah. You know, they're there, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that, like, Everyone kind of got used to it, like especially, like right now. Um, the we're on. I'm on the equity committee with the um, with the um, Portland City Council, uh, and the mayor appointed us. And it's just like we got on Zoom over there. Like we just had our first meeting, and I was just like, it's it's become a norm, no matter where it is. Like there's just you have the option to do a few clicks and you're boom, you're on another meeting, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So 
I think um, connecting interactively has uh, increased, but at the same time, it makes it very difficult to to enhance the conversations and and to execute the um, the mission or whatever you you know people are are, are speaking of. Um, so I think it's a good and a bad, the convenience, but at the same time, it's, it may be difficult and I, I, I don't know I would have to look at some stats or, so or whatever to look at to, to, to really determine it but um, that's what I would guess so when you're building bridges using zoom it does have the convenience but are you guys doing like um, like um, icebreakers to lighten up the mode um, we we cut down the, the amount of meetings we had um, and yeah, we, we would just go around and uh, say our name, um, our pronouns, um, you know, yeah, icebreaker, maybe like, what did you have for lunch today? Or like, you know, what is your favorite photo or whatnot? Um, and sometimes, but it, sometimes it's, there's, there's, there's intense conversations because some, some of these um, youth have witnessed lots of oppressive action done to them or their friends. and these conversations are built. And then we look at, you know, political issues, we look at, uh, incidents that happened within the community and talk about it and how it could have been helped, you know, um, um, uh, taken care of better, restorative justice. So it's like more of collab collaborative effort. And um, to be honest, like I'm the student when it comes to the youth. Like I, I always sit back and I just listen to them, you know, and I give them any options to do whatever they want to do. They want to write about something. They want to use their poetry. They want to, like, it's so, like people would be really surprised, like how like what type of minds they're they're not corrupted yet like we are um by these systems and it's just like what wait like and they have these answers and it's it comes off of them so smoothly that it just never gets old and and they know that their voice like is valued their voice their voice is valued with us so it's just like it, 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 they also have a sense of belonging you know? do you see a big contrast dealing with the youth versus the, the equity committee that you're on uh, well, it just started um, the, the equity committee specifically, but like dealing with the youth and dealing with system system people and dealing with like um, yeah, just like absolutely, <laughs> there's a there's a humongous difference. Um, I think you know a lot of people do not like change, and I think that in this world, um, change is inevitable. And to understand that maybe when we're doing something wrong, we should probably analyze it, think about it, um, and then like do the right thing no matter what, right? And I think the difficulty and fear that we instill in, uh, in America in a pessimistic way is what keeps us from having progress. So. Hmm. Well, I think too that sometimes people feel like what is being done might be right. Or are you not seeing that when you're having your discussions? I mean, it just depends on like what type of question they would ask. Yeah. Um, I don't think confining individuals heals anything, um, especially youth, right? Because like when youth, like their brains aren't um, fully developed until the age of 25. And if you lock them in, in a white cement wall, metal beds, like for a week, two weeks, three weeks, 
what are they developing? Like it's 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 just it's becoming a waste of life, and a lot of kids die. A lot of kids die leaving there. Um, there's a 44% recidivism rate. Um, I know a lot of I, I can count within the past seven years over one hand five or six of them that had passed away um, leaving the juvenile facility. And it's just like yeah, we look at you know the recidivism rate, but we don't look at which how many of them have bad relationships, how many of them are homeless now, how many of them are alcoholics, right? How many of them are just, just struggling and trying to get by? How many of them succeed? It's, it's extremely rare. Um, so if we see this failing sector of, of, of youth that are going into, into the department itself, and then, and then we're just adding to mass incarcerations. I don't know. It's just we, we're, we're, we're doing it to ourselves. You know what I mean? When we have the, the highest population of incarcerated folks. We have the highest population of um, people with uh, criminal records. So, For a developed nation, right? For the, yeah. I mean, we have 2.3 million people that are incarcerated, 5 million people on probation, and 70 million people with criminal records. About 25% of this country have criminal records. And um, and uh, in the Thirteenth Amendment, I know a lot, a lot of people really kind of, you know, hesitate from saying this. The Thirteenth Amendment does state that when you commit a crime, you become uh, a, like a slave to the state, and you you can work for a free labor then, right? So, um, like, how does that heal the community, right? And it's just, it's just these questions that we need to start asking ourselves, I believe. Um, when thinking about harm and harm reduction, I'm thinking, even thinking about policing. Like when we, the reason why I'm on the equity committee, because I, I, I've, I've spoken a lot about policing and how it's, and it, you know, in reversing structural racism that we found thing, I, I, I stated it. They said that policing, that one of the professors said that policing is order maintenance. It doesn't prevent crime. Right. If we want to prevent crime, then we need to figure out, mental, you know, mental health treatment. We need therapy. We need to um, decrease the amount of, uh, um, of, uh, like, television we're showing the children when it comes to like br brutality and whatnot. Like, there's a lot of different ways to prevent crime, and just to respond to crime every single time doesn't make it stop. Right. Right. Sorry for speaking so long. No, I love it. Yeah. No, this is about you speaking. I love it. Um, yeah, you know, we being reactionary as a country versus being preventative. Mm -hmm. And it's been that way for a very long time. I mean, there used to be mental institutions to help people, but they're virtually gone. And it's kind of left to the prison system for those people, unfortunately. Well, our mental health is so prevalent because we... Like, yeah, so we, you, said, you, you said it, we criminalize people that have mental health issues, right? Yeah. And then we don't even look into why they have mental health issues. Like what happened to them? Like if a kid hits a kid at the age of seven, at 16 or 17, that child has been hit many times prior to that. And for us not being there as a community, we're failing. We're looking at the response of why the heck is this kid hitting this other kid? You know what I mean? So it's like, it's the learned behavior. And we have to start understanding, like for example, Everybody has children, or um, I mean, I know, but a lot of people do. A lot of people. Everybody, okay, everybody has family members, nieces, yes. nephews, um, siblings, and if they, um, if your nephew 
like did something like really terrible like he he hit he hit um one of the neighbor's dog or something like that like really really bad and you know you, you tell him to come inside and and, and tell him to go in, to go on to his room right you don't keep him in his room for months and have a big tall men that pass by his room consistently um, you know when it's lunchtime just you know you can only sit at a specific place you have to put your hands behind your back like because of that one incident for months like you wouldn't do that to your nephew you wouldn't do that to your child your child will hate you like if you like because I have mom when I talk to my daughter like I tell her whenever she does something wrong it's just like you know you did that that thing wrong if you lied to me like I'm gonna be upset but if you tell me the truth you know like I forgive you and she'll tell me the truth and I'll say that's not good and, she, and she'll learn from it when do we get the chance for kids to learn from something that that has happened, right? So this poem is called uh, Chess Game. I live in the area of a world where we all smell the same. We taste the same. We feel the same. We even look the same. Similarities and ranges from Caucasian to yellow and beige when it comes to, when it comes to my Asians. Now look at me. Just a brown face, but also known as the black race. A bold face that I embrace. The same, just born in a different birthplace. Sometimes I feel like it was a race, like who hit the land of the free in the first place. And now authority is set and the rules are rendered. For the white opportunists, us colored surrendered. From slavery to segregation, lynching and discrimination. Living with poverty and being patient. Hard work and dedication without an opportunity for occupation. Even though, even though the black female exceeds the most in education with only 12.1% of our population. What a nation. They give us little by little of our mandatory freedom. They've built this country. Do you see how they treat them? Conceived them while those in power were eaten? Telling them anything to mislead them? And they believed them? They tell us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is treasured. But for us, we're in search, chained heavy, while being pressured. Our resistance for their pleasure. We live tough so they could live better. But you know, the laws ran for all men. But lately, the police have all stand above the law of the land. Acquitted for minor faults is something I can understand. But the bloodshed, we fled from home for maybe a brighter chance to get slaughtered in the light of day when we never ran. I'm not bulletproof. I put my hands up, they still shoot. An accident may be considered, but handset technology where cameras are configured, uploaded on Instagram, Facebook, and tweeted on Twitter. As we, as we witnessed the incident, making us feel bitter that the headlines are twisting and making us reconsider. We must hold them accountable for all life is valuable. I didn't get permission to trade, so why is my soul collateral? An authority with law enforcement take minor academic courses and now determine my life choices. And they're all friends. Yeah, I said it. Those in a justice, those in a justice system make small plans while sitting sympathy determining my life chance. It's a game to them, man. And this is how it's set. The king is the judge in this game of chess. The queen makes decisions so the DA knows best. The horses are the police making crooked arrests while putting bullets in our chest. Now the bishop's the attorney that's making their charge less. And the rook, that's the sneak that's paying off all debts. And us as pawns, sacrifice with our debt. See, that's why we're upset, because we still, we're still being oppressed. Isn't it enough we built this country with our sweat? Only to be lied to and promised with false jests. We play defense in this world so we can't do our best. What do you expect? The offense commenced to kill a man on, while he's on his own fence. Only to see a phone in his hand, his fist was so tense. Probably from the fear that he had lost all chance from an unfair battle of this game of chess. Checkmate.
what's the plug? How can people reach you? People could reach me on um, on Instagram at Humble Philosopher 2020. My Instagram um, poetry page is Humble Poetry 2020. Um, my Facebook is Ali Ali. Uh, website is Reverse SR Main org, which which stands for Reverse Structural Racism Main org. Um, there's an email all the way at the bottom um, and a phone number if you guys need if anybody needs to reach me for anything. Great. Yeah. Is there like a Venmo you're interested in or? Yeah, there's a there's a donation page on the um, Reverse SR Main org uh, page, and that that creates revenue for any youth that's on the ground. Um, to get them stipend like that's on the ground that are doing any type of work thank you for listening to in the pocket with your host flo edwards and our guest today was abdul ali and you are listening to wmpg 90.9 southern maine community radio Everybody.